right. Good morning, familia. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here at church. And it's always a blessing to spend time with you guys and to worship together. So if you are uh, in person here and, and uh, this is the first time you're here, uh, I want to welcome you. We are here to love you and serve you. And you worship with us online. I want to say the same thing to you. We are here to love you and serve you in any way we can. Um, today, I have the privilege to continue uh, this series that Pastor Eric started a few weeks ago that we have called Dear Church. Um, and this is something that we're doing in all of our locations, in all of our uh, worship uh, congregations, if you will. Um, and basically what we're doing is we are kind of uh, expressing as pastors what we want our church to believe and apply. That's basically what we're doing. What we're doing is um, we, we are inviting the church to believe and apply these things that we already have and we already are in Jesus. Um, and that we become the person that the people that we already are and the things that we already have in Jesus. So. Um, what we did different uh, to the things that we usually do is we gave every campus pastor the freedom to choose. So let me explain it this way. When we are putting preachings together, all of the preaching pastors come together and we think and we pray about what is that the church needs to hear. For this specific series, we did it a little bit different. What we said was we went to all the campus pastors and all the teaching pastors and say, what is it that your congregation needs to hear from you the most right now? So if you are really liking this series, it's because Eric chose it. But if you're really hating it, it's because Eric chose it, all right? And what he did is he grabbed some sections from the Gospel of Luke um, to kind of describe what, what his heart for you is, what our heart for you is. And today, I mean, he gave it to me, so please don't take it personal, but we're going to talk about the cost of discipleship. So let me prep you for it, because it is, it is a little bit of a confrontational passage, and I don't think that he did that on purpose when he asked me to preach on this one, um, but it's going to be a confrontational passage, all right? So uh, what I want from you is to, to uh, have open ears, right, and to ask the question, does that describe me? If yes, praise God. If no, then what is it? what are the areas in which I still need to grow? All right? So the, the idea here is not to make you feel condemned in any way, but to shake you up a little bit. All right? So I get to do this once every three months, so I'm going to enjoy it. So <laughs> let's see how this one goes. So can you please stand for the reading of the scripture? We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 14, and we're going to be reading verses 25 to 35. If you're still here, can you please say, I'm still here? Yes. Awesome. Luke chapter 14. Verses 25 to 35. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. I told you that it was going to be a hard passage. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you want to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Verse 31. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first down 
uh, sit down and consider whether he's able with the 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? Is he not able? If, if he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you, have, you cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Let me pray again. Lord, we, we, uh, this passage is extremely confrontational and yet so beautiful. Lord, in your kingdom, there are no hidden fees, no tricks. Your word is plain and it speaks to us plain. And it confronts us radically, Lord. And my prayer and my desire this morning, Lord, is that, that none of us Christians, will feel condemned by the passage, but that we will be confronted by the passage. My prayer, Lord, that if, if there's anybody here or worshiping with us online that who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, they can actually come to the saving knowledge of who you are and what you have done. Please be with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, you may take a seat. All right. So... Um, this is the question that I'm trying to answer then. What does it mean to be a disciple? Right? I actually think that's a very important question for the times in which we live. Because, for example, back in the days, if you wanted to say that you were a, uh, a disciple, all you had to do is say, I'm a Christian. But that has changed in our culture, right? Later on, if you wanted to say that you were a disciple, you will have to say, I'm, a, I'm an ev evangelical. But that has changed because to be an evangelical means anything. Therefore, I think that these are a proper time for us to ask the question, what does it really mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a believer? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower, which is the synonym of the word disciple? What does it mean to claim to have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and to see Jesus as a Lord and Savior? And I actually believe that the text that we just read this morning is the most clear and the most complete explanation of what that means. If you truly want to see what it means to be a disciple, a Christian, a, be a believer, a follower of Jesus, you really have to pay attention to this text. And I believe that this text shows us three things of what it means to be a disciple. A disciple counts the cost, considers the gift, and rejoices in the outcome. Now, this is what is interesting, and this is how you know that the Lord is moving ahead of time. Because the text that we read today during the worship time is going to be a key text for us this morning. And the song that we read, the song that we sang after, it's also really connected to the text uh, that we're looking at today. So let's talk about the first point, count, uh, a disciple counts the cost. Now, if you notice, in verse 25... You see Jesus that he's being followed by a large crowd. 
This is super interesting because Jesus was never in the business of becoming a celebrity. If you actually have read the New Testament and the Gospels, you see that Jesus was never in the business of becoming a celebrity. He was never in the business of gathering the crowds and being admired by thousands. Jesus just was being Jesus, and yet large crowds of people are following him. Now, as it is expected, if he's being followed by hundreds of people, and I would say thousands of people, Jesus needs to uh, take the time and stop to clarify what is it, what it means to just follow him. Not just like him, not just sympathize with him, not just like the things he says or the things he does. Maybe not just uh, seeking for him to get something out of him, but he wants to take the time to explain to the crowds, not to the disciples alone, but to the crowds, what it means to be a true and genuine follower of him. Now, in my prayer, I mentioned the word no hidden feast, because I'm sure that you understand that. I'm sure you have gone to a place and you pick something and the price says $99, but by the time you go to pay, it's like 340. Well, Jesus is not doing that thing here. Jesus is going to be plain and clear. And he's going to say to the crowds, I know you like me. I know that you're here for a reason. But no one here after this sermon, Jesus says, no one is going to be able to say, you tricked me. I didn't sign up for this. (laughs) <laughs> that's crazy, especially when we live in a culture in which it's so easy to become a Christian. All you have to do is raise your hand. Some churches move to the front. That's it. But Jesus says, no, 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 I, I really want you to pay attention. Follow me. But pay attention what the cost is. And I think that the text is going to show us that the disciples are supposed to ask themselves three questions. Question number one, who do I love the most? That's a question that a disciple should ask. Number two, how much am I willing to suffer? And number three, how much am I willing to sacrifice? Who do I love the most? How much am I willing to suffer? How much am I willing to sacrifice? Those are the same three questions that you got to ask yourself all the time. Let, let, me, let me make a disclaimer. None of us is there yet. None of us is living as a disciple 100% yet. And yet, we ought to desire to live like a disciple. And we ought to pursue that kind of discipleship. Is that clear? Look at the first question. Who do I love the most? This comes from verse 26. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, children, brothers, and sisters... And even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, obviously, if you know a little bit about Jesus and you've ever been exposed to Jesus somehow through the words of the Scripture, we probably already know that Jesus couldn't be saying, you really got to hate your brother, you really got to hate your mom, you really got to hate, you know, your family, you really got to hate yourself. That couldn't be. You know why it couldn't be? Because one of the commandments says to honor your father and your mother. It couldn't say hate your father and mother, right? It couldn't be, oh, you got to love, uh, you got to hate your enemies because God, Jesus calls us to love our enemies. It couldn't be for a husband to hate his wife when, he's, when Paul says, you got to love your wife and you got to die for her the same way Jesus died for her and for the church. That's what I meant. 
Therefore, hate has to be something different. And I think that we can understand what that means. But just in case, let me tell you one of the definitions, what the word means in the original. It means to love less. Jesus is calling the disciples, his followers, to love their parents, to love their spouses, to love their kids, and to love themselves less than what they love Jesus. So if you want a definition of what the word hate means in the text, it means this. That we got we to gotta, we gotta learn how to love people right, and we got to learn how to love in the right order. That we got to learn how to love people right, and that you got to learn how to love people in the right order. This is the reason in a way. The only way we can know how to love people right is by loving them in the right order. And the only way we're going to be able to love people in the right order is by loving Jesus more and loving them less. Loving Jesus more and loving everyone else less. Now, this passage is masterful. That text is masterful. In that context and in that culture, the people that mattered the most was your family. Actually, in that context and at that time, parents matter more than a spouse. And spouse obviously matter most than kids. But in that context and in that time, family was everything. We're going to call that, just for the sake of argument, the traditional group. Traditional cultures, even today, they have the tendency to do that. So if you come from a, from a minority group that is more traditional, Africans, uh, Latinos, Asians, you know that what your parents say really, really matters. Right? What is interesting, though, is that Jesus is talking to that group of people. And at the same time, he's talking to another group of people that we're going to call this the modern group. Which it will describe us in this part of the world. In our culture and in our time, the person that matters the most is me, myself, and I. And Jesus says... You ought to love yourself less than what you love me. To the traditional people, Jesus says, your ultimate alliance is not toward your family, it's toward me. And to the modern people, he says, the ultimate, your ultimate alliance is not toward yourself, not toward your feelings, not toward your desires, but toward me. If you really want to be my disciple, can you imagine? Modern preachers would never say that. He looks at the crowds and says, you really want to be my disciple? You got to love me more. And you have to love everybody else less. Now follow this. Because if you do that, and you love people in the right order, and you put and you love people less. That is the only possible way, church, to be able to love other people well. Here. If you love Jesus more, I guarantee you that you're not gonna treat other people like if they're your savior. You already have a savior. If you, love, if you love Jesus more, I guarantee you that you will not demand from your family and your friends what only God can give you. 
See, if you love Jesus more and you love others less, I guarantee you that you will not compromise beliefs because you're treating them like if they're your God. See, I guarantee you that if you, you love Jesus more and you love people less, you're actually going to learn to love them well. Because you're going to give them what you already have. Now, there's people that can actually look at this and hear this and say, man, Jesus has a love issue. Like if Jesus needs your love, like if Jesus needs my love, did you know that Jesus is the only person in the entire world, in the entire creation, in the entire cosmos, in the entire universe that is self-sufficient? He does not need anything from us. Part of the beauty of being a disciple is not only that we get to know and embrace this beautiful God we have, but that we also get to love people well. You cannot love people well unless you learn how to love Jesus first and more. Look at this quote by uh, uh, Thomas Boston. He says, no man can be a true disciple of Christ to whom Christ is not the dearer than what is dearest to him in the world. Did you guys notice the phrase in the text? You cannot be my disciple. That's a crazy phrase. You cannot be my disciple unless you learn how to love me more. You can be a seeker. You can be a sympathizer. But you cannot be a Christian unless you love Jesus more. I told you that this was going to be a confrontational passage. The Christian, the believer, the disciple is willing to count the cost by asking the question, who do I love the most? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Who do you love the most? Second question that you got to ask yourself, the same question that I have to ask myself, how much am I willing to suffer? Look at verse 27. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me, can you read that last sentence with me? Cannot be my disciple. Here we got to do a little bit of a word study to understand what Jesus is saying. Because this is a very famous verse, you know. We use this verse a lot. But the word to carry can also be translated as to remove something. Or to endure something. It's not just suffering for suffering's sake. But it's to remove something and to endure. And when we pay attention to the word cross. We have to understand that our understanding of the cross. Was not the same understanding these people had at that time in that context. See they had not seen Jesus going to the cross just yet. I'm not even sure if they have full, full understanding who Jesus is. Therefore, when Jesus is using the word cross here, had to be a different understanding to the understanding we have today. At that time and in that context, in a Greco-Roman world, that couldn't mean what it means to us today. Once again, Jesus had not gone to the cross yet. What these people knew, though, is that the cross meant a condemned person. 
They knew that. They knew that the people that got crucified experienced public humiliation. They knew that. They knew that people that had to carry their cross experienced rejection. So you got to ask the question, what is it that Jesus is asking these people to do? This is what Jesus is saying to the crowds. If you're going to come to me, know this. That if you are committed to me, pay attention here, that if you are committed to me, that if you truly love me for who I am, and not just because of the things I give you, when you start removing things from your life, and when you start saying no to certain things and yes to other things, you will be treated as a condemned person. You will be treated uh, as a person of no value. You will experience public humiliation. You will be rejected. You will be labeled as a religious freak. And you have to endure for my sake. Follow me. Uh, nobody told me that when I became a Christian, you know. They promised all the beautiful things that the Lord gives. And he has delivered. But I think that my life would have been different if I would have heard this before. Let me tell you how I learned this. So uh, I don't know if I ever shared this with you here, but uh, one of the, the, the means the Lord used to save me was my family. So I come from a family of four, a uh, single mom and three of us, and I'm the oldest of the three. Uh, but the Lord saved my mom first. She grew up as a Christian, by the way, and she walked away from the Lord. And I, she says that she truly converted at age 45. My grandfather was a pastor. So my entire family grew up in church. Anyway, so my mom walks away from the Lord. At age 45, she has this encounter with the Lord finally, right? And she surrenders her life. And then my little sister becomes a Christian. And my brother that comes before her becomes a Christian. Now, all three of them had a crazy radical conversion experience. Like, like radical. Like today they were doing crappy stuff. Or I'm, you know, I'm sorry. They were doing bad stuff. And the following day... We can edit this as the thing is. And, but the following day, they were doing amazing things for the Lord, right? Um, but the person that, re, that, so the Lord used my mom in amazing ways to speak to me and to bring me to him. But he used my brother in amazing ways because my brother was a mess. He, here we have a 14-year-old kid doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And the Lord gets a hold of his heart, and he changed like crazy. Actually, he became a missionary at age 15. That's how you know. But one of the things that the Lord used as I'm looking at him um, is how much he wanted to share with people what he believed. And so he spent hours and hours talking to me, talking to my relatives, talking to my cousins. But I remember clearly this one time in which... He's sharing with both of my cousins that they're my age. And they're making fun of him like crazy. He's a 15-year-old kid. And he starts weeping. But he never backed down. He's hurt. And he's suffering. But he never backs down. 15-year-old kid. No TikTok. No Instagram. Nothing to make him famous. Just him and his word. And the word of God. And the Lord used that. And being, me, being able to see how he endured. A 15-year-old kid made me question. 
What is it that this kid have? That was smoking marijuana a few months ago. That was sleeping around with girls at age 15. And now he's radically transformed. This is what Miguel, his name. This is what Miguel had. He knew that Jesus had, had more value than everything else. He was worth suffering for. So look at this quote. Like all things in life of surpassing value, the gospel, Jesus Christ, is both costly and worth the cost. True love makes great sacrifices for their beloved. Real love is not afraid to bleed, Christian group says. And you know that is true. You know that is true, because if you truly love your spouse, you're not willing, you're you're willing to you're willing to suffer. If you really love your kids, you're willing to suffer. If you really love your friends, you're willing to suffer. This is the reason why a soldier suffers for his country. This is the reason why missionaries surrender their lives when they go to different parts of the world. And did you notice that the same phrase at the end? If you cannot suffer for my sake, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be. It's impossible to love with the same magnitude God and everything else. Is simply impossible. The disciple is willing to count the cost by asking the question, how much am I willing to suffer for Jesus? Is that the question you ask yourself? That's the question I need to ask myself. How much am I willing to suffer for Jesus? And the third evidence of discipleship comes with the question, how much am I, will- how much am I willing to sacrifice? Which he seems similar to the one before, but it's actually different. Look at in verse 33. In the same way, those of you who do not give, give up everything. Can you say everything? everything. Those of you who do not give up everything, you, ha- you have, you- did I put that right? Everything you have, you cannot be my disciples. You know, you know okay, this is, uh, you never heard this before. This brand new stuff. Listen up. You know what the word everything means in the original? Get ready, get ready. Everything. So what does that mean? What is it that Jesus is saying to these people? Follow the train of thought. If you love me more than everybody else, if you love everything else less, you will suffer for me. And if you love me and you suffer for me, then sacrificing things for me will not be an issue. This is the crazy thing, though. Jesus is not calling his followers to give up everything, to sell everything, to not like anything, to live like homeless people. That's not what he's calling them to do. What the Lord is calling his disciples to do is to deny themselves and be willing to let everything go if you have to for the name of his sake. Jesus is asking the question, do you love me enough to deny yourself? Do you love me enough Uh, Do you love me enough that if there's an area of your life that you're not willing to surrender, can you surrender it? Can you let me be Lord? Lord over your life. You know what the word Lord means? That he owns everything about you. 
and everything you have. And that as believers, our life is always like this. Open hands. I have this. But if you take it, let it be. I love my wife and my daughters. But they're not my God. I love my calling. But this is not my God. I love the things I have, but those are not my God. I love my career, but this is not my God. And the Lord Jesus is telling these people, telling the crowds, is there anything you have that you're not willing to surrender? If you cannot surrender it, you cannot be my disciple. Have you guys ever seen that? I don't remember the, the name of the show. Probably some of you guys remember. But it's this show where people do go through different obstacles. And it's always uh, they go through one. And then at the end, they got to push something. And whoever is strong and fast and stuff like that. I, I, I was remembering this one because there's always this. In one of these parts, you know, the athlete is holding on to something here. And he's holding on to another thing here. Right? But you know that, you, that he's not going to be able to stay here forever. Like if he wants to keep moving, he's going to have to let this one go. If he, doesn't go, if he doesn't let this one go, he or she will not be able to finish. That's the same image Jesus is creating in people's heads. Is there anything you're holding on to that has not allowed you to let you go? Let it go, he says, if you, are really, if you really want to be my disciple. Here's one more quote for you, and this one is long. The disciple must relinquish all his possessions. Not merely money and material things, but also his dear ones and everything that in his heart he clings to. Yeah, even his own life, his own desires, plans, ideals, and interests. That's radical, people. Even your dreams. This does not mean that he must sell all his possessions or give away all his money and desert his dear ones or to become a hermit or a beggar or wanderer, but it means that he must give Christ full control over his whole life with everything that he is and all that he possesses and that under his guidance and in his service, he should deal with his possessions in the manner that is best. Translation, if you are truly a follower of Jesus, you could never say, Lord, I give you all of this, but this one, I just can't. If you've ever been in a relationship, if you are in a relationship, try that. And let's see how that works. Let's say I go home today and I tell Heidi, baby, I'm devoted to you, 100%. But don't ask me to give up golf. I don't even like golf. <laughs> if I really surrender to this love, she could say, Hannibal, maybe you should give up that sport for the sake of the family. Now, if at this level, this is what healthy relationships looks like. Can you imagine what it means for a relationship with the Lord? That he is Lord. There's nothing we should be able to say to God. I can give you this. Even if it's your dream. 
You know the same person that I mentioned before, my brother? And I'm going to share because I don't think he ever is ever going to hear this. He actually walked away from him, from Jesus. Because there was one dream that he was not willing to surrender. Even the best of us can do stuff like this. Have you ever asked yourself the question? Is there anything that I'm not willing to surrender? The disciples willing to count the cost by asking the question. Is Jesus truly my Lord? All right. How many of you guys, because this is family, right? How many of you guys feel that this is like way too much? Can you raise your hand? All right. So for the rest of holy ones, you guys are dismissed. The four of you stay here. I feel that this is too much. It's so easy to preach this sermon, you guys. So hard to live it. So let me ask the question again. Is this too much? Thank you. Now we are in an honest community. See, the only way that we can learn how to do this and grow in our discipleship is by number two, considering the gift. This is the way our, work, our heart works. You can never give up anything unless you can never give up this unless what you have here is better than this. You guys understand that, right? People change when their affections change. People change when their heart clings to something else more. If my heart clings to this thing here, in order for me to let it go, me saying 20,000 times, I'm not going to do it anymore, is not enough. It doesn't matter how many times you say to yourself, never again, never again, never again. I tell you that if you don't find something that is better, more beautiful, more powerful, more worthy, unless you, don't have, unless you have something else here, you will never let this one go. And that's why I think that Jesus uses these two illustrations right in the middle of the passage. The first illustration comes in, in verse 28 when he talks about building this tower. Look at what it says. Suppose one of you want to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? When you continue, when you read the rest of the text, it tells you that this person laid the foundation and then realized that they didn't have enough money and now he looks like an idiot. That's what it says. Because he did not estimate the cost. Did you know that the word estimate there? It means it's, it's kind of accounting. It's a, an accounting word. It's to make a calculation. It's to add and subtract. It's to actually go through the process and say, can I actually finish this project? The second illustration comes in verse 31. And he's talking about this king that is about to go to war. Look at what it says. Or, or suppose, you, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with the 10,000 men oppose the one that is coming against him that is 20,000? Now, the word consider, though, is similar to estimate, and yet it's a little bit different because it's to think. Don't just reason. 
think as you reason. Don't just make a calculation, is Jesus worthy? Or can I afford? So these are the two questions. One, the first question is, can I afford to do this? Can I afford to follow Jesus? That would be the first question. And the second question is, is Jesus worthy? That's the first and the second illustration. Can I, am I willing to go through this? And number two, is Jesus, is Jesus worthy of me going through this? Now, this is a crazy thing about the passage. That the, fo- the crowd that is following Jesus, they sort of know Jesus. They know his teachings. They've seen what he has done. There's a reason why they follow him. And at that moment, Jesus still thinks that they have enough information for them to follow him. To love him more, to sacrifice and to deny themselves, to suffer for him. But this is, the, this, is, this is amazing to me. They didn't know what we know today. If they didn't have an excuse to not surrender their life to Jesus, we have even less of an excuse to not do it. Because everything that Jesus is asking them to do is the very things God was, Jesus was willing to do. When Jesus calls them to love him more, to love him above everything else, to put him first, isn't that what Jesus did for us first? Not only because he lived the life that no one has lived, because he put the Father first. You guys remember right before the cross, if it's possible that I don't go, that, that this cup not come to me, but your will, not my will. Not only he showed what it means to actually have full devotion to God, but when he's doing Not only he's thinking about the glory of the Father, but he's thinking of you and me. This is why the text we read during worship time in in Philippians chapter 2 is so important. See, in the context of that text, um, Paul is calling the church to humble themselves and to value one another as if they were superior to ourselves. As if they were superior. He's calling the church to humble ourselves and to value others above ourselves. But he says that the motivation and the power for someone to do that is because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He valued us above himself. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death and a cross. Count the cost, he says. Count the cost to see if Jesus is worthy. If you have to let this one go, count the cost to see if Jesus is worthy. And the answer is, of course, he's worthy. No one has died for you. And even if someone were to die for you, they wouldn't get close to Jesus at all. Because he's God. It is only when you find how worthy he is. That you can start to die to these things over here. See, when Jesus calls the crowd to suffer for him, to pay the price of following him, and to sacrifice everything, isn't that what Jesus did first? Didn't Jesus Jesus humble himself when he became a human being? 
Didn't he sacrifice royalty, comfort, peace, joy, and everything he had? Didn't he live in our midst like if he was a nobody? Didn't he went to the cross and he was treated as a cursed man, like a nobody, without honor and without glory? Philippians chapter 2 reminds us again, Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, pay attention, church, he made himself nothing. NIV. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. This is the king of the universe made himself, that made himself nothing. It is the eternal, the eternal everlasting God that made himself nothing. It is the all-powerful God that made himself nothing. It is the omniscient God that made himself nothing. It is the ever-present God that made himself nothing. It is the all-wise God that made himself nothing. It is the self-sufficient God that made himself nothing. It is the faithful God that made himself nothing. It is a perfect God and good God that made himself nothing. It is the holy God that made himself nothing. It is the merciful and full of grace God that made himself Nothing. It is the glorious and loving God of the Bible that made himself nothing. You have to ask the question, why? Because he considered you as if you were of more value. Man, if you can let this one go, because of this, you have no hope. Let it go. The disciple counts the cost and asks the question, is Jesus worthy? And the answer is, of course he's worthy. He's worthy of my sacrifice and he's worthy of me surrendering and he's worthy of me suffering because compared to him, this is nothing. Can you see? How this is the only way we can let everything go and actually follow him. One more question, 30 seconds. What happened? Not only when we change, when Jesus becomes the ultimate object of our affection, what happened? Point number three, you're rejoicing the outcome. This is the crazy thing about Christianity. Well, actually, let's read this verse. Right at the end, it seems like if Jesus is changing the topic, but in verse 34, he says this, salt is good, but if he loses his saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Verse 35, it, uh, it is fit neither for the soil nor for a manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And you would say, why would Jesus change the topic? But Jesus is not changing the topic. Every time Jesus talks about salt in the New Testament, he's talking about the church. What the church ought to be, the reason why we exist, is not just to give him glory, but to be salty here. And in the New Testament, in the Gospels, the salt, salt always has this double purpose, to preserve and to make food enjoyable. Follow the thought. A disciple is a person that loves Jesus more and other people less. A disciple is someone that is willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus. A disciple is someone that is willing to surrender everything to the lordship of Jesus. A disciple understands that Jesus, Jesus is worthy of all of that. 
And when you have that, now you can be in this world and live in this world, living your Christianity, loving others, preserving this creation from going from bad to worse, and adding flavor to it. Listen, if you're going to suffer for Jesus, don't suffer because you are annoying. Suffer because you are salty and bring flavor to this creation and preserve this creation. Is Jesus worthy? You bet he is. Count the cost and you will see that he's worthy. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I'm still um, shocked by the reality, Lord, that there's nothing that you ask of us that you didn't do first. Lord, it's, it, it doesn't make any sense to me that you being God, lacking anything, will put me first, that will put us first. Lord, I, I still don't fully comprehend why is it that you were willing to suffer for us, for our sake. We still struggle, Lord, to fully grasp why is it that you were willing to deny yourself and become nothing and empty yourself for us. And yet, that's exactly what you did. I pray, Lord, that you elevate that picture, that image, Lord, that understanding in our heads and in our hearts in such a way that we find you worthy so we can let everything else go. Please do that in us. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And we all say.